Open your Bibles up to Romans, to the book of Romans. Eight years ago, boy, time flies. Eight years ago, we began a journey through the book of Romans together. The results of that journey are still being felt and seen among us, even to this day. The book of Romans contains the most complete, the most comprehensive explanation, presentation of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ that can be found anywhere in the Word of God. It is a significant book. It is the gospel, as Paul laboriously and in detail explains here in the book of Romans, that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. In Romans, Paul slowly, methodically unfolds what he calls the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And along with him, we can affirm that God's judgments are unsearchable and his ways unfathomable. The book of Romans. One of the enduring results of our study of the book of Romans, a study that took us, I believe, about four and a half years as a church, was that we came to a newfound understanding of God's heart for the Jewish people. It was because of our study together of the book of Romans that we came to to see in in a new and significant way that God loves the Jewish people. Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 6, Moses writes, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. What an amazing statement. God loves the Jewish people. Now, that doesn't mean that God does not love Gentiles. Praise the Lord. But for reasons that reside in the mind of God, he chose for himself and called to himself the nation of Israel. He birthed them out of the womb of Egypt unheard of and called him them to himself to be 
A kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. That through them, God would display his glory. The wonders of his redemption to a universe that looks on in awe and wonder. Beloved, is to Israel as a continuing possession, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 9, that belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all God blessed forever. It remains the continuing possession of God's people. These incredible blessings. Incredible blessings. But for the majority of the people of Israel, they do not experience the reality of these blessings. The sad history of the nation of Israel, the people of God, so vividly proves she has been disobedient and hard-hearted. She has repeatedly rejected her God, turned to idols. And in the fullness of time, when God sent forth his own son into this world, the long prophesied and awaited Messiah, Jesus the Christ, to his own people. They rejected him. They turned away. They refused the gift that had been offered. And that message of salvation, that power of redemption turned from the Jewish people and began to go out far and wide among the Gentiles and bore fruit, an amazing crop of fruit, 30, 60, 100-fold. What is that message? What is the message? Paul gives it to us here in the book of Romans. Let me review it for you quickly. And it'll have to be quick. But to be reminded. Paul begins with this message of redemption. In chapter 1 of this great book beginning in verse 18, where he details man's deep, dark descent into sin. And what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18 and running all the way through verse 32, is, is simply this, that having turned in thanklessness away from the sure knowledge of God, mankind continually suppresses the truth about God resulting in temporal wrath being poured out upon them in all manner of intellectual, spiritual, 
sexual and societal wickedness. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 2. Paul says, all who make moral judgments demonstrate the existence of a transcendent moral code which they do not keep. Every act of moral condemnation is an act of self-condemnation. The law cannot save you. Paul finishes in chapter 3 and running in from verse 1 through verse 20 and says, Therefore, all humanity is guilty before God and in need of a righteousness which transcends our own. A righteousness which only God can supply. Only God can supply. Beginning in verse 21 God says that righteousness of God, that righteousness God requires, that righteousness comes from God by faith in the sacrificial death of Christ who turned away the wrath of God against our sin, resulting in our justification. Chapter 4. Perhaps this is a new way of salvation. Perhaps this is a new concept. And Paul says, oh no. Justification by grace through faith alone is a principle as old as the book of Genesis. Which means that it applies to both Jew and Gentile. One way of salvation for all mankind. One Savior. Chapter 5. Paul tells us that as a result of our justification, something amazing has happened. Something amazing. We have been severed from our union with Adam and the realm of sin and death, and we have been placed in a new spiritual union with Christ, who was. By his resurrection, the firstborn from the dead, one who gives the life of the age to come, by union with him, we are moved into the realm of holiness and life. Something real has happened. Something real. As a result of that reality, Paul says, our battle with sin has changed. We now, in spiritual union with Christ, chapter 6, need to recognize that we have been freed from sin's enslavement. It is no longer our master. We no longer must obey its commands. We do not belong to the old realm of sin and death. We belong to the new realm of grace and life. Therefore, chapter 7 Recognize this, believer. The law cannot sanctify you. One can never be made right before God by the keeping of rules and regulations. One cannot battle the flesh and its residual sinful desires and proclivities by rule-keeping. To place oneself under the law is to live a life of frustration 
and despair. Instead, chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We, as the children of God, are being led by the Spirit of God, Paul says, chapter 8. It is the Spirit of God himself who guarantees our union with Christ. Paul finishes this great section. In verse 38, he says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then the thinking person asks himself a question. What about Israel? Paul, if this is true, what about Israel? If God's promises to Israel regarding her redemption could be frustrated, then how reliable is his promise to the church? This is no small question. This is no small question. If God could not hang on to his chosen people, what makes me so sure he can hold on to me? How could the privileged people of God have failed to recognize their Messiah? These questions must be asked, and they must be answered. Indeed, beloved, they are part of the gospel, the good news that we are called upon to proclaim far and wide. Let me read to you Paul's answer to this question. In Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. Now, I have nowhere near the amount of time that I would like to have. So I will direct you for the details to our website and the sermon series in Romans. But let us just hear again from the Spirit of God through the pen of the Apostle Paul the answer to the question, what about Israel? Paul says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are the Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all God, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. 
but through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For through the twin, for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Well, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left to us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written. 
Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Brethren, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars and I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, 
There has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? The first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Well, you will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity. But to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also... If they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you are cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. So that you will not be wise in your own estimation. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. 
For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. Though the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom, And knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him. And through him. And to him. Are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. What about Israel, Paul? What about Israel? What has happened to Israel? Beloved, it is simply this. Chapter 9, Paul takes us into the deep end of the pool. The deep end of the pool. And basically what he says there is that by the sovereignty of God that resides in the mysterious counsel of God, he has chosen at this time to harden the hearts of the nation of Israel. That's not fair, Paul. The clay does not speak back to the potter. The hardness of Israel to the gospel of Jesus Christ for the last 2,000 years. Why? It is the sovereignty of God. It is the sovereignty of God. Does that get Israel off the hook? Is Jewish unbelief strictly attributable to divine activity? Does Israel bear any blame for their unbelief? Chapter 10. Paul takes up the blindness of unbelief. And basically what he says is this. Israel has chosen to establish their own righteousness through law-keeping. All day long, God has held out his hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. He has sent the prophets to them over and over and over again. And as Paul says in Corinthians, at the reading of the law of Moses, a veil remains over their eyes. Why does Israel not believe? It is the sovereignty of God. Why does Israel not believe? Because they do not want to believe. Because they do not want to. Well, Paul, does that mean God is permanently done with his chosen people? Does that mean then that he has swept them aside? 
Does that mean that all the promises made to the fathers, to Abraham and beyond, have somehow been revoked? Somehow transferred to the church? Has God cast aside Israel? Is there a future for God's chosen people? Chapter 11. God will someday restore his ancient people. Yes, they are in hardness and unbelief. But it will not always be that way. It will not always be that way. When God is done with the times of the Gentiles, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come, when God has accomplished among the Gentile nations his sovereign plan for them, he will turn his attention again to his ancient people. And through a time of terrible, terrible persecution, when she has nowhere to turn, no friends left in the world. The prophet Zechariah says that she will look on him whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. From flat on her back, she will look up to Messiah. Christ will come. He will deliver his ancient people. And fulfill his promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. Here we are, beloved, between the ages. Living in the time between the ages. There is a remnant among God's ancient people who still believe. The gospel still finds fertile soil, not in large numbers, but it still finds fertile soil. And each day that passes draws us closer to that great day when God will redeem his ancient people in masse. 